Father, as we continue our study about the Antichrist, and uh, today we'll be looking at his false prophet and this uh, fascinating number of the Antichrist, 666. Lord, uh, uh, help us to uh, look at this study. Help us uh, not so much to be able to identify the Antichrist and his false prophet, Lord, but to be able to identify the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of the false prophet. Because, Father, we know that that spirit has gone out into this world. As John tells us, Lord, uh, we, uh, there are many Antichrists, not just one Antichrist. So, Lord, as we look at this study, help us to apply it to our time, to identify the times in which we live, and then help us to be uh, the kind of people who are beacons of hope, the kind of people who can warn people of this coming wrath that you're announcing through the book of Revelation, Lord, and uh, help us to live the kind of lives that, that uh, Lord, make us the kind of witnesses that we need to be in these last days in which we live. Father, we just thank you for your word and the revelation that's here, and we know that the book of Revelation isn't so much about the end times, Lord, but, but, but about the grand person of the end times, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we honor you, Lord, and we praise you. We thank you for your word, and we ask you to bless our study today. We ask that in your precious name, I pray, amen. Well, last week, if you remember in our study, we looked in the book of Daniel, and we looked in uh, the book of Revelation, the first part of 13, and we talked about some events that were, are going to take place in the near future, where the wings of the eagle are going to be plucked from the lion. And we identified the eagle as possibly being the United States of America. And I'm talking now about Daniel chapter 7. And there's this war that takes place uh, right before the Great Tribulation. And two of the players in that war seem to be the United States and the bear, Russia. Well... If you watch the news this week, it's almost right on cue. It's absolutely amazing. We did our study Sunday. We talked about this possible war that's coming. We talked about the ramifications of this war. And uh, no sooner did, did that happen than we hear the news that the United States is about to attack Syria. And, of course, Russia is embedded in Syria, so that is an indirect attack on Russia. And uh, we, that attack did take place. Before the attack took place, Russia announced that if we attacked Syria, they would attack us, which, like I say, it reads like it comes right out of the book of Daniel right out of the book of Revelation. Now, Russia did not attack us. At least as of yet, they have not attacked us. I believe when they do attack the United States of America, they will attack us like the Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor. They're going to hit us hard, and they're going to hit us fast, and it's not going to be something we, can, we, we know that's coming. It's going to come as a surprise attack on this country. I'm not trying to mess up your Sunday afternoon, but, but uh, you, you, we know 
that all of these events are going to take place because they're laid out for us in these prophecies that we get in the prophets and in the book of Revelation. And so, so we know that this attack is coming. Why did Russia not attack America? Because I'm going to tell you what, if Russia sinks some ships, and they said they would sink the ships that sent the missiles, is what they said, and they would attack the bases that sent the planes. They haven't done that as of yet. But if they do that, you know what happens at that point. We enter into World War III. And so we're living in very, very dangerous times. Now, why didn't Russia respond to that attack on Syria? Well, you know, there's all sorts of reasons you can lay out that, uh, for that. But from a spiritual standpoint, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, we know that there's four angels standing at the four corners of earth, the earth holding back these winds of war. And now in Daniel chapter 7, those winds are let loose. And when those winds are let loose in Daniel chapter 7, then this war is going to break out that's going to lead to the Great Tribulation and it's going to bring about the kingdom of the Antichrist. And so just everything we're reading right here, just again, you watch the news and I know it'll kind of settle down again, but it'll pop its head up. What's going to happen, and you can tie this to Ezekiel chapter 38, what's going to happen after the eagle wings are plucked and Britain's made to stand on its own? Now, by the way, if you notice, Britain flew in there and attacked too. But they did that because they had the support of the United States. That's going to be a different story if something happens to us. But uh, if this happens, I mean, when this happens and these winds are let loose, then the kingdom of the Antichrist is going to come into power. And at that point, there, you're going to have this coalition of these countries. And read Ezekiel 38 and tie these countries to the countries of our present time, and you'll see that this Ezekiel 38 war where Russia and this coalition of Arab nations comes down into Israel, that coalition is already in the making as we speak and the only thing that's holding that war from taking place from Russia attacking Israel is the United States of America and if we're taken off the scene then you're going to see this attack on uh, Israel and when Israel I mean when Russia and this coalition of Arab nations attack Israel then God is going to intervene and God is going to destroy that coalition of nations. And from that residue, we saw that in Daniel, from that residue is going to arise the beast who comes from the nation that destroyed Israel in 70 A.D. You can look at this in, in Daniel chapter 7. And that is Rome and the revived Roman Empire. So that's where we're at right now. And as we come back to chapter 13, we're going, to finish, I mean, we're going to finish looking at the Antichrist. We're also going to look at his false prophet, and we're going to also look at this really eerie number 666. So go with me to Daniel, I mean, I'm sorry, to Revelation chapter 13, and look with me in, Dan, in, in verse number 7. Revelation chapter 13, verse number 7. Listen to what he says. It was granted to him, now who's the him here? the Antichrist, to make war with the saints, to the elect, to the holy ones, and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, 
and nation. Now again, the word saints there means holy ones. That's all it means. And I believe that the saints here have to be either the tribulation saints or the people of Israel because they're the elect ones. Now what time are we dealing with in the book of Revelation? We're dealing with the time of Jacob's trouble. And Jacob represents who? He's the father of Israel. So we're, we're the primary uh, players in this event are the Antichrist and his kingdom and the nation of Israel. So I believe where it says here that he was granted to make war with the saints, it's talking about the fact that he was granted to make war with Israel. And so he makes war with Israel, and he overcomes Israel, and he occupies Israel, and he also makes war against the rest of the armies of the world, and he defeats the rest of the armies of the world, and so power and authority is given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. He has power over the whole world. That's exactly what Daniel said. He has power to devour Daniel chapter 7. He has power to devour the whole earth and to rule the whole earth. Now, let's go to verse number 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him at that point. Now, we talked about this last week. There will be two types of worship. There will be worship of adoration, and there will be worship of capitulation. People are going to realize that it's impossible to make war with the Antichrist and they're either going to capitulate to the Antichrist or they're going to die. So those who dwell on the earth will worship him. And these are the people that will not worship him. Those whose names have been written in the book of life. He puts it this way. He said everybody on earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And then verse number 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Do you understand what he's saying is what... John says, I mean, the whole earth is going to bow a knee except those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, most of the people whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life are going to be out of here at the rapture. When that trumpet blows, and I believe the trumpet of the rapture blows simultaneously with the trumpet of the wrath of God, the first trumpet of the wrath of God. So when that trumpet blows, that which restrains the Antichrist from coming on this earth, that's the Holy Spirit. We see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That spirit, that spirit is going to be removed, and the spirit is in the church, so the church has to be removed too because we're the, God operates through his church, and we're the ones who are holding back the Antichrist from taking power now. So when the church is removed, uh, then the Antichrist will take power and the whole world will bow a knee. But there will be other people who will be saved in the tribulation and their names are written in the Lamb's book of life too. Now, it's really interesting here because there's a couple of uh, interpretations for the last part of this verse from the foundation of the world. And there's two ways to interpret that phrase. One is that it refers to the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. The other is, it refers to those who were written in the Lamb's book of life before the, foundations of the before the foundation of the world. Both interpretations are correct. Because Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, Christ is the Lamb who was chosen to be slain before the foundation 
of the world. That was the plan of God before the foundation of the world, that Jesus would die for your sins and he would die for my sins. But it's also true that those who are in the book were chosen to be in the book before the foundation of the world. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, Christ chose us to be in him before the foundation of the world, holy, without blame, before him in love. Now, way back 40 years ago or 30 years ago when I was living my life for the devil, I was a chosen creature of God because God chose me before the foundation of the world. I didn't know it then. I know it now. Why did he choose me before the foundation of the world? Because he knew before the foundation of the world that I would choose him. And because I chose him, he chose me before the foundation of the world. And this goes in a circle. But it, 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 uh, there's a paradox between choice and between the sovereignty and election of God. We have, we have choice, but the Father draws the elect. And so he chooses those before the foundation of the world who will receive Christ. And he knows those who will receive Christ. And then he sets up our lives in a way that we end up choosing Christ. And so then we go to verse number 10. Listen to what he says. Uh, everyone else now, again, will bow the knee to the Antichrist. And really, that's what's taking place in this world today. People are bowing the knee to the spirit of Antichrist. He's not here yet. But this, believe me, the spirit of Antichrist is here. This is what he says in verse number, number 10. He said, he who leads into captivity, and we're talking about during the Great Tribulation, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. Who, he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Now, there's two ways to interpret that passage, too. One is that there's no advantage in resisting the power of the Antichrist. If he takes you into captivity, hey, you just go into captivity. I'm not going to be here. Let me tell you, you've got to ask a question here. If I'm not going to be here, why do we even study this? Most of you think thinking I'm not going to be here either. But some of you are going to be here. And this is really for you. So you want to listen to this very carefully. If, if you don't know Jesus Christ well, I want you to listen really carefully to what we're, going to, we're talking about now. I don't really have to worry about this. Because I'm not going to go into captivity. I'm not going to be killed by a sword, not, not in the Great Tribulation, because I'm going to be out of here. But, but for those of you who are going to be here, then, then you don't need to resist the, the Antichrist. You can't resist him. We're going to see later on. You're going to have a mark, or, or you're not going to wear the mark. But either way, he's going to know where you're at. You realize the United States government knows where every one of you are at right now. Or they can find out where you're at right now if they want to know where you're at. So, the, so all that technology is there. So there's, there's no reason, if, if you're led into captivity, you go into captivity, if you're killed by the sword, hey, you just get killed by the sword. This is the patience and faith of the saints. The other way to interpret that, and I kind of lean toward this interpretation, uh, is it comes from the precept that we all know from the Bible, that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And here's what he's saying if you interpret it that way. Those who are used by the Antichrist to put the saints into captivity, eventually they're going to go into captivity. They're going to go into the eternal captivity of hell. And those who are killed by the sword, they're going to be destroyed. And all you've got to do is look at the latter part of the book of Revelation and see what happens to the wicked on this earth in the last days. And you're going to see that, the, that vengeance does belong to the Lord. So those who are killed by the Antichrist and his cronies, hey, they're going to be the ones who really suffer in the end. I think maybe that's the interpretation. All right, now we're going to switch gears. In the first part of this chapter, in verse number 1, 
we looked at the beast, the kingdom of the beast. Then we introduced the Antichrist. And now as we come to verse number 11, we're going to look at another beast, a very interesting beast. And we're going to be able to figure out where this beast is going to come from and what he's going to do when he's on this earth by the description of this beast. So we want to look at this real carefully. So look at me, look at with me at verse number 11. He says, then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. Now he doesn't come up out of the sea of people. He doesn't surprise anybody. He comes up out of the earth. And everybody already knows who he is when he comes into power. I think it's what he's saying right here. And he has two horns like a lamb. I have never seen a lamb with horns. But he has two horns and he's like a lamb, but yet he spoke like a dragon. Now what do the horns represent in prophecy? They represent power. So he has a double measure of power. He has not one horn, he has two horns. So he's a very powerful person. All right, but notice, if you look in chapter, I mean in verse number one, the beast had crowns on the horns. And that meant that they were leaders of divisions of government, of, of, or some of the divisions of the government of the Antichrist. And so they had power. But he has no crowns, and so he's not a ruler of a nation or an empire. So he's different. And watch this. Remember, the kingdom of the beast was symbolized by a speedy leopard and a deadly bear and a ferocious lion. Uh, you look at verse number 2, and you can see that description. But this beast, is like a lamb. Now, when you think of a lamb, what do you think of? You think of this gentle, innocent, loving animal. And most people on earth love this beast. He comes from the earth. He's on the earth when the Antichrist comes on the scene. And he's already loved by most of the people of this earth. But the lamb spoke like a dragon. Now, who's the dragon represent? He represents Satan himself. Now, the fact he speaks tells me that he, when he speaks, people listen. He has a word. He has the ear of the people of the world. Now, you stop and think of, about where we're heading here. Think of someone who has the ear of the people of the world who does not rule a nation. So this leader, I believe, I think it's clear here, he's famous throughout the world, and he's the head of some global institution. And the word dragon means he's a very adorned serpent. Literally, it, it, it's got an adjective there. So he's not just a dragon, he's an adorned dragon. He's, he's an attractive dragon. He wears fancy clothes, and he speaks with a forked tongue, but he, he, he catches the ear of all the people. So he's a very attractive person. And even though he seems innocent and attractive and loving and charitable, his, he's a serpent. And so his intent is evil. His intent is not good. 
And he's going to be used by Satan to promote the Antichrist and the kingdom of the Antichrist. That's why prophecy scholars, and I think to some degree they're right, they call this beast the false prophet. Personally, I think that's a mild description of this beast. I would call him the very voice of Satan. He will be possessed by Satan, and he will speak the words of Satan. And more than likely, he's on this earth this very moment. If we're in the end days, like I think we are, he's on this earth this very moment. Now, some people believe, some people who believe that the Antichrist will be a Muslim, they believe that he's one of these ayatollahs that promotes the caliphate, uh, like the one in, in, uh, with Hezbollah, uh, the, the one who was promoted ISIS. I don't remember their names. I can't recall their names right now. But, but somebody like that, they would say he would be the false prophet. Now, have you ever listened to those guys speak? They don't sound like a lamb to me. They talk death and ch taking off heads and stuff like that. So I don't believe that's, that fits the bill. Others believe that uh, those who believe that the Antichrist will be a Muslim, they believe that this is the false Jesus Christ that comes. The Muslims actually believe that Jesus Christ will come back to the scene uh, once the Mahdi returns and that he will promote the Muslim world leader, uh, or he will call on people, his followers, to worship the Muslim world leader. Now, that would fit the bill of a false prophet. The only problem with that, they believe that Jesus will say, you either follow him or we're going to cut off your head. Now, that doesn't sound like Jesus, and it doesn't sound like a lamb to me. And so I don't think he fits the bill either. Now, here's the other problem. I am perfectly... I am sure, in my mind I'm sure, that the Antichrist is going to lead the revived Roman Empire. He is not going to be a Muslim. Now, the only way he could be a Muslim if the Muslim uh, armies take over that part of the world and then they occupy Rome. Because this is a revived Roman Empire, where is it going to be headquartered if it's a revived Roman Empire? More than likely it's going to be headquartered in Rome. So I don't believe that this is a Muslim at all. I believe that the false prophet comes from the organized Christian church. That's where he's going to come from. The Laodicean church that's left here after the rapture. The, the leader of that church, he will be the false prophet. And that church, that organization that he leads, will be the ecumenical church, the one world church for the one world government. Ecumenical comes from the Greek word okamene, which we get our word ecumenical. The Greek word okamene means the whole inhabited world. That's what it literally means. So when you hear people talk about the ecumenical movement, they're talking about uniting the whole the church of the whole inhabited world, uniting that church together. And in order to do that, 
they adopt the theology we call universalism. Universalism says that all religions lead to God. Everyone is going to heaven. I mean, even atheists, even Satanists, even Muslims, they're all going to heaven. In other words, it's, it's nice that Jesus died for our sins, but it wasn't necessary because everybody's going to make it to heaven. And let me tell you what else this religion is going to be about. It's going to be about permissiveness. It's going to allow every person to do what every person thinks is right in their own eyes. In other words, you can do anything regardless of what the Word of God says, regardless of what the God of the Old Testament says or the God of the New Testament says. Somehow with these people, there's two different gods. And God has evolved. And God really didn't create the universe. And God really, you know, I, I heard the, the Pope who's in, in power now say that God's not some kind of genie who could, convict, could create the whole word, world with his word. Well, I don't know what Bible he's reading. Because my Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and he did it in seven days. And if you deny that, then you're... You're already heading down a path of not believing the rest of this word. And these kind of people don't believe the word. And so everything becomes right regardless of God's word. And, and everybody's going to go to heaven regardless of what God's word says. My word says that there is no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. And, and if God's a liar about that, then God's a liar about everything. And he's not a liar. And so this one world religion will preach tolerance. Tolerance for everything. Tolerance for every religion. Every religion except Bible-believing Christianity. There will be no tolerance for that because we're considered to be intolerant because we believe the absolute word of God, that these words are absolute truth. And so to them, that makes us intolerant. And so they're intolerant toward us. Oh, you see the spirit of Antichrist in this world right now. You see people who hate fundamental. I don't even like to call myself a fundamentalist because that's been given a, you know, a bad label. But I believe in the fundamentals of this Bible. And if that makes me a fundamentalist, then that's what I am. If I, if, if I believe you give your whole life and soul to Jesus Christ and that makes me a fanatic, well, I'm a fanatic. You know, we can be fanatics about football. Well, I can be a fanatic about Jesus Christ. And you can too. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to also teach this brotherhood of all men and women. And everybody's a brother. Let me tell you what my Bible says. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you aren't born again, you are at enmity with God. That means you are the enemy of God. That's why God says, he says, Jacob I have loved. You can see this in Romans, and you can, you can see it in the Minor Prophets. Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. God hates those who hate him, who reject him. And they're at enmity with God, and they're not, he's not their father. Now you go over to what we're looking at in Malachi right now, and it speaks of the fact that God, it, it talks about the father he, he speaks of God. It seems that he's speaking of God as the father of Israel, but he speak, there he's speaking of Abraham as the father of Israel. Abraham is, all, is the father of all of us who believe. But if you don't believe, 
Abraham is not your father. If Abraham is not your father, you're not a child of faith, and so you're not a child of God. Now, he's going to teach, this false prophet is going to teach the brotherhood of all men and women. I mean, Jew, Gentile, uh, African, American, whatever, we're all in this together. He's going to teach that until he commits the abomination of desolations. He'll come into the temple, he'll commit the abomination of desolations, he will kill the two witnesses, and then he will declare the Jews to be less than human. Hey, we're all in this together except the Jews. And he will propagate this holocaust much, much worse than Hitler's Holocaust. And we know from Zechariah that only one-third of all the Jews of the world will survive that Holocaust. And so he's going to come after the Jew. Now, does any of that sound familiar? Does any of it sound familiar? Well, let me tell you what. There is already a movement abreast uh, for, to create a one-world church. There are several organizations that several of the major denominations, Protestant and Catholic and some of the others, participate in. And they are one world, they call for a one world church. The World Council of Churches. uh, The National Council of Churches USA. The Churches United in Christ. Whenever you see those organizations, they are ecumenical organizations who want to unite the church into one, a one-world church. The only people they want to exclude from that one-world religion is the fundamentalist wing of Christianity. The ones, those of us with a biblical worldview, hey, we, they oppose us. Look, we believe in unity. I certainly believe in unity because Jesus Christ taught unity. So we believe in the unity of the Christian church, but we believe in unity in accordance to this word, not outside this word. And here's another problem. The leaders of the ecumenical church are the very people who oppose Israel. They're the ones who lead this BDS movement. I don't know if you've heard about that or not. This boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, whereby their purpose is to bring down the economy of Israel and to bring down the state of Israel. They hate Israel as it is right now. Now, who in the world is this false prophet going to be? I'm going to take a stab at it here, and I'm going to be really frank. And I know some of you come out of the religion that I'm going to speak of. And I'm not picking on that religion. Because let me tell you something. In the Great Tribulation, there will be people from the Baptist Church there. There will be people from Calvary Chapel there. There will be people probably in this room in the Great Tribulation. There will be people from all walks and all denominations. If you, you know, the Bible's kind of iffy on this. If you're a born-again believer and you're watching and you're asking God to, to give you the grace to escape the tribulation, he promises that he'll give you that grace. But if you're not born again, forget it. 
you're not going to get that grace. And then I wonder about those who are born again who aren't watching. Because you read the parable of the ten virgins and you listen to what Jesus says about watching, and it sounds pretty scary that no matter what state you're in, if the Lord is not first in your life when he returns and that trumpet blows, then you're in trouble. And so you better watch what movie you go to. You know, I heard Tony Campolo say one time, he said, man, I, I was in a movie one time and I was, I was scared to death. I was scared uh, the Lord might, the trumpet might blow and the Lord might come and I'd miss the rest of the movie. Don't worry about missing the rest of the movie. I'm joking about movies. It's not about movies. It's not about television. It's not about what you eat, what you drink. It's about your heart. Is your heart right with God? Is God first in your heart? You know that. You have to ask that question yourself. Where's God in your priority of things? I mean, where should he be? He should be first. And if he's not first, then you have a problem. So I'm not picking on the person I'm about to, to I don't know to name any names here, but I'm not picking on where I, on the, de, the denomination from which I think the Antichrist will come from. But man, the way I read the Bible, that's where he's going to come from. And, and, and certainly people are going to follow him of other denominations. All the denominations are going to join with him. There's a, there's a, there's a, let me, let me talk to you about who I think it is, first of all. Well, let's approach it this way. Let's go home. The Roman Catholic Church, don't say amen. The Roman Catholic Church millennia have been at the forefront of the ecumenical movement and I think early on for the right reasons to unite the church and give church the church power to be a witness in the world and to serve the lost I mean the Roman Catholic Church has done some of the greatest charitable work uh, really they have done the greatest charitable work in the history of this world and they continue to do great charitable work and there's certainly some fine people in the Roman Catholic Church. But they have been at the forefront of this ecumenical movement. The, recent, the most recent popes who have really been powerful, had a powerful voice in this world, Pope John Paul II and Pope Francis, they have taught a form of universalism. Now, I'm going to quote something here. Let me, let me read to you what Francis said. Pope Francis said it's one of the first things he said when he was elected pope. He said, every human, and I'm quoting here, he says, every human is a created child of God. See, that's the brotherhood of man. And the, they, they are created by God. Don't get me wrong. I agree with that. But they're not children of God. That's a big difference. That means you're in a relationship with God, and God is your father, and you treat him as your father, and he treats you as his child. But he says, every human is created is a created child of God, and the Lord has redeemed us all and we will all go to heaven by the way of purgatory and by the way of maybe some time in hell, but we will eventually all get to heaven, unquote. And when Pope Francis was in Africa in 2015, he says that Christians 
and Muslims are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, you know, there are a lot of denominational leaders, including some notable evangelicals, who have embraced this pope as the leader of the one world church, the ecumenical church. And look, I'm not saying that Pope Francis is the false prophet. But here's the problem, or here's the reason I think that he will be the leader of the Roman Catholic Church. Because the revived Roman Empire, and it might not be Pope Francis, we might be a while, it might be 100 years before all this happens. But the revived Roman Empire will be headquartered in Rome. And I can't think of any Protestant denomination with that kind of voice that's in Rome now. So personally, I believe this false prophet will be either the pope who's in power now or a future pope. I get myself in a lot of trouble even saying that. And usually I try to steer away from these kind of things. But in this issue, you've got to look at what the Bible has to say. Now, certainly... There could be an evangelical voice. Let's say somebody like Billy Graham, and I certainly don't believe Billy Graham was Antichrist, and I'm not saying that. But Billy Graham had a great voice throughout the world. And so let's say you have some charismatic Protestant leader who has that great voice, and then he somehow unites with the Pope in Rome, and then he takes the power. That certainly could happen. I'm not saying that this is a Catholic thing at all. This is a church thing, Protestant and Catholic. And we are living in the world, in, in the age of the apostate church. And I'm going to tell you, it's not limited to the Catholic church. It's, the apostate church has permeated the, the, the whole world. And that's why it's going to be so ripe to be taken over by this one world government. I mean, any church that denies Jesus Christ as Lord, any church that denies the sal that salvation only comes through the cross, any church that denies this Bible as the word of God, it is anti-Christ. I don't care what denomination they are, and that leader is going to come out of that apostate church. And the fact it's stationed in Rome tells me more than likely it is the leader of the Catholic church. So hopefully I didn't offend anybody too much here. But sometimes it's good to get offended. I mean, sometimes it's good to, to, to look at what scripture has to say. Now, if you don't believe scripture, and let me tell you what my advice is to you if you don't believe scripture. Go ask God what truth is. And I, I believe God will show you. If you are willing to obey the truth, God will show you truth. You don't care, give a flip about it really, and you're really not ready to obey it, God will not show you the truth. All right, now, let's go to verse number 12. And it says, he who exercises all authority of the first, and he exercises, the false prophet, exercises all authority of the first beast in, the, in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on the earth to worship the beast, the Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed. We saw that in verse 3 about this deadly wound being healed. I believe it was verse number 3. Yeah, he had, he had this mortal head wound. And so, more than likely, there's some kind of assassination attempt, maybe in this war that takes place. 
he has a deadly head wound, and then he is supernaturally healed. And this false prophet comes in, and he causes the earth and those who dwell on the earth to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So he's given all authority to enact uh, worship of the Antichrist. And at first, his religion is going to incorporate all the face of the world. There's no doubt about it. But after the abomination of desolations, you remember what happens. He comes into the temple, he kills the two witnesses, and he declares himself to be God, and he demands worship. And the false prophet is going to facilitate that worship. He's going to demand that worship too. All right. And there's going to be little resistance. There's going to be little resistance to this because, first of all, the church is out of here. There's going to be some tribulation saints. Israel's not really going to understand this. They're going to be hearing the two witnesses, but they're not going to really understand this. And then all of a sudden, this guy's going to be shot, and then he's going to be miraculously healed. And people are going to say, whoa, who can stand against this supernatural being? And then the false prophet is going to perform all sorts of miracles. Look at verse 13. He said he performs great signs so that, even, that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of man. Listen to me. All miracles are not of God. Satan can do miracles too. And when he does miracles, he loves to imitate the miracles of God. You remember when Aaron threw down the staff and it turned into a snake? What did Janice and Jambres do? They threw down their staff and it turned into a snake. And then Aaron's snake swallowed their snake. But, hey, I mean, Janice and Jambres had to have a lot of power in order to turn their staff into snake. They had their power from the ultimate snake, Satan himself. But they had that kind of power. So he loves to imitate signs. And so you have the two witnesses and they're calling fire down from heaven, destroying their enemies. And so this false prophet comes and he calls down fire and he destroys his enemies or the enemies of the Antichrist. And he performs other signs too. Now, there's a lesson here. Guard against putting too much emphasis on miracles and signs. Lest you're deceived by Satan because Satan can perform miracles too. Uh, our emphasis should never be on miracles. Our emphasis should be on the Lord and on His Word. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe in miracles, because I certainly believe in miracles and I've seen miracles. But those miracles line up with God and God's purposes, and they line up with His Word. And the sure way to determine or to see that a miracle is from Satan if it lifts up anyone other than Jesus Christ. And if it opposes the precepts of this Word, then it's of Satan and it's not of the Lord. So you've got to watch for these things. So when I see somebody barking in church, I don't find that anywhere in my Bible. And I say, is that lifting up Christ? To me, that's demeaning Christ. It's demeaning the Holy Spirit. So when I see that, I'm going to get as far away from that as I possibly can. Look at verse number 14. He says, he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which was granted, he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Well, this reason, you know, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar did? He built this giant image and demanded everybody worship it. It was an image of him. And so, because his head was the head of gold. And so, he does the same thing. The beast demands that, you know, they make an image of him and that everybody worships it. And only a lost person is going to be deceived by this because 
the most basic of all commandments is what? You shall have no other gods before you. And right behind that is you shall make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or likeness in heaven above, in heaven or above or on earth beneath. You don't make a likeness of anything. And so when anybody's making idols, that goes against the word of God. All right, then he, has, he, he performs these signs, and, uh, you know, uh, people look at him, and they say, hey, this guy's got, he's got, he's got power. He's got power. Look, there's a lot of charlatans out there today that are performing signs. I mean, when I see somebody slaying somebody in the spirit, and I see those kind of things going on, and I, I you know, I see how people are fooled. I mean, millions of people are fooled by these guys, and they send them millions of dollars. If they can fool them, think of what the false prophet's going to be able to do. And so in verse number 15, watch what he does now. He says he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. I mean, here's, I mean he's going to outdo Nebuchadnezzar's beast. Nebuchadnezzar's beast couldn't speak, but look at what he does. He gives breath to the image of the beast. And so the image should both speak and cause many who would, would, as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, who's going to be killed? Those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Those tribulation saints who are on this earth, and they're going to refuse to worship the beast. Because let me tell you something. If you worship the beast, we're told in chapter 14, verse 9, that you're going to go to hell. And so you can choose between dying or going to hell, and, and people are going to know that because, again, these words that we're seeing right here aren't written so much for those of us who are here now, but for those of us who will, uh, those, uh, those people who will be here who get saved uh, uh, during the Great Tribulation. We're not in that group. But uh, if you're here, then you don't want to worship the beast because you're going to go to hell if you do. We'll get into that next week. Now, look at verse number 16 and 17. He says, it causes all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on the forehand that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so the Antichrist is going to control all the governments of the world, He's going to control all the police forces of the world. He's going to control all of the armies of the world. That's going to give him all the power. And so he's going to control the economies of the world. And he's going to incorporate all of the economies of the world into a one world economy. And in order to operate in that economy as an individual or as a business, you're going to have to have the mark of the beast. Now, what's the mark? Of the beast. Man, I remember when I first got saved and I got into this prophecy stuff, there were all sorts of people speculating about what the mark of the beast was. And back then, before cell phones, I mean, this was back in 1989, I mean, that wasn't that long ago. But back then, you know, you had these old giant computers that could barely do anything. There was no facial recognition, there was no fingerprint recognition, none of those things. And boy, everybody was thinking, oh, they're gonna, they, they made this chip and they're gonna plant this chip under the skin. That's certainly a possibility. But that's certainly not necessary. I mean, you got a new iPhone now. It recognizes your face. It recognizes your fingerprints. I mean, there's all sorts of biometrics that can be used that, that aren't as invasive as a, as a chip uh, 
stuck under your skin. So there's the technology. We laugh at that now. The technology's there. I mean, it's there for the choosing. I mean, the Antichrist could choose anything he wants. He can choose a tattoo that you have. There's a barcode on it that can be red. I mean, it could be a chip implanted, uh, or it could be some type of biomet- biometric tool. When we were in Israel, when we came into Israel, as you, you go through customs, and then right as you're leaving Israel, you have to have a card. They've got machines there. And you go up to the machine, and the machine takes a picture of you. They saved mine, by the way. <laughs> no, they did save it. They saved everybody. They take a picture of you, and you hear the computer, and it spits out a card. If you're on their database, I mean, if you've yelled at your teacher when you were in elementary school, they know about it. I mean, they know about everybody that comes through there. They've got a database of everybody in the world, basically, every bad person in the world. And if you don't show up on that database, then it spits you out a card. If you show up on the database, then they politely pull you over. Really, maybe not so politely, depending on what the, the database says. But, but the technology's there. Then you walk through, and you're, you're free. You're in Israel. But you better have that card because you can't do anything without that card. I mean, you can't check in a hotel. You can't rent a car. You can't buy gas. You can't do anything without that card. So it's almost like the Israeli mark of the beast. You've got to have that card in order to do business in Israel. And so, you know, this isn't an issue at all anymore. The technology is there. What the mark exactly is, we don't know what it is. But one last thing. Listen to what we see in verse number 18. If, let me say this. If you don't take the mark, you're going to be killed. The Antichrist is going to kill you. He's going to find you. He's going to kill you. Are you going to starve? You can go say, I'm going to go hide out in the mountains. Well, you're not going to be able to buy any food. Well, I'm storing up the food. They know who's storing up food. They're going to find you eventually. Eventually, you're going to run out of food. But uh, you, you don't take the mark, you'll be killed or you will starve. If you do take the mark, read Revelation 14, you're going to die and forever in hell. So nobody's going to want to take the mark that's, whose name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And here's wisdom. Wisdom for those who are on this earth. Right now, look, you can do all the gymnastics you want to try to calculate the name of the Antichrist or who the Antichrist is by this number. But you can't do it because he hasn't been revealed yet. And he won't be revealed until the church has been removed and you won't be here. But anyway, if you want to try, you can try. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. Ooh, that's pretty scary. I remember the first day Eli and Nathan enrolled in middle school in Destin. It's 2003. And we went to it. It was a brand new school, so they invited the parents and the kids. And we were all gathered together in this packed gym. And the teacher got up, and she's one of those teachers that really I don't think is well-versed in the Bible. But she got up, and she said, I'm excited to announce that we have 666 students enrolled at Destin Middle School. And you could hear everybody... And then everybody went, boo, and the whole crowd booed. She was like, why are they booing me? 
Well, her, she didn't understand why, but her secretary did. So her secretary went up and whispered in her ear and then handed her a slip of paper. And then she had a big smile on her face. And she said, I'm happy to announce we just enrolled two more students and we have 668 students now. So everybody worries about this number 666. That's why everybody booed, because that number is an eerie number. It's a number that's associated with the Antichrist himself. And the Antichrist is associated with evil, and so it's a number associated with evil. And evil is associated with Satan, so it's a number associated with Satan. So whenever you see the number 666, I mean, you look out. Because in biblical numerology, six is the number of man. 111, which happens to be our address, by the way, 111 is the number of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 666 is the number of man, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. It's the, or the number of, however you look at that, it's the number of Satan. I mean, 666 together is, is the number of Satan. When we see 666, we think of evil, we think of Satan. It is the ultimate man without God. It, when you see 666, it means that it's man operating without God. He is anti-Christ. Now, how are we going to be able to figure out if you're on earth here, how are you going to be able to figure out if the Antichrist number is 666? Well, there's several ways. You can use biblical, the, biblical, I mean, the numerology of the various letters of the name. It might be as simple as the name Ronald Wilson Reagan. Six letters, six letters in the middle name, six letters in the end, end name. I don't know exactly how you're going to be able to figure it out if you're here. Good luck. You'll know who the Antichrist is, though. Don't worry about it. But his number will be 666. And if you're here and you're not saved, you'll get to wear his number on your forehead or on your right hand because that's where the number, the mark of the beast will be placed. And for seven years, the stigma of 666 will be gone because the Antichrist will be the one who's lifted up. So there you have it. You've got... You've learned about the Antichrist in this chapter. You've learned about the false prophet. And you've learned about the number 666. And all of you have all studied this, I know, before now, so you had a good idea of what was going on. But we live in a world that is increasingly becoming more and more anti-Christ. There is this cry for a one world order. I remember way back when George Bush, he used to give me chills talking about the one world order, the new world order, he called it. Over and over again, he talked about the new world order. Actually, on your back of your dollar bill, it speaks of new world order. You know, I'm flabbergasted at how much this world hates Donald Trump. I mean, the hatred for Donald Trump, and I'm not a pro, necessarily a pro-Donald Trump person, but the way this world hates him is just befaffles me. I just, I just don't understand why they hate him so much. I don't think it's because he has orange hair, and, and I don't think it's because of his reputation as a womanizer, because JFK was a bigger womanizer than Donald Trump ever thought about being, and the world adored J John F. Kennedy. 
Why do they hate Donald Trump so much? Well, let me tell you why. Because he despises the one world order. I mean, he believes in borders and nations, whereas Hillary Clinton believed in nations without borders. I'm not picking on Clinton. I'm telling you what she believed. And he believes in nations with borders, which means he believes in the sovereignty of nations. He believes in national economies, not one world economies. He believes in world economies competing with each other on a fair basis, but he believes that you have your own national economy and you don't meld everything into a socialistic world economy which is what most people are clamoring for now. And so these globalists are out to destroy Donald Trump. And I'm afraid they will, unless God steps in. I mean, he stepped in in his last election, whether Clinton got elected or whether Trump got elected. Let me tell you what, God puts kings in powers. So God stepped in, however you want to look at it, whether you're a Trump fan or a Clinton fan, I'm neither. But but he stepped in, and he brought Trump in. That was a miracle that Donald Trump won that election. But I believe they're going to get him. I believe they're going to get him. And I hope not, because I like some of the things he's doing. But I believe they'll get him. But let me tell you why. If they, if they get Trump, and the globalists take this nation, and take over this world, it's because the reason God allows it, will allow it is because the Antichrist is about to come on the scene along with his false prophet and this godless world is about to be judged. Pastor, what do I do? Let me tell you what you do. You look up. Really that word means you keep on looking up. Keep on looking up because your redemption draweth nigh. It's about over. Your time on earth is about over. The closer we get to the arrival of the Antichrist is the closer we get to the rapture of the church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We, we, a lot of this is just knowledge that, Lord, we won't necessarily need because we know that, that uh, we believe strongly that when that day comes, Lord, that when the Antichrist arrives on the scene, that, that we're going to go be, to be with the real Christ. We're going to go be with you, Lord, in heaven. We look forward to that day. But, Lord, I know you have a purpose for every single person in this room who is a true believer. Lord, uh, time is short, and you've given us a calling, Lord. You've given us a mission, and that's to be your ambassadors on this earth. So, Lord, help us to get serious, really serious about our relationship with you and our relationship with others. And Lord, help us to be the kind of voice that you've called us to be, the kind of witness that you've called us to be. And again, Lord, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here, Lord, who is not in a true relationship with you, again, I ask today that you touch their heart and that today be the day that they receive your son, Jesus Christ, into their heart. And Lord, that they become find out from that day that they were chosen in you before the foundation of the world. Father, we just thank you for the, our election. We thank you for the grace you've given us. We thank you for the blood shed for us on Calvary. We thank you through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.